Welcome to Revision. My name is Grayson Scott, and I'm here with my co-host, Tree Prasad. How are you doing today, Tree? You know, it's been a great day. I got to tell you about this sandwich that I made this morning. <laughs> I woke up. I gave myself 30 minutes to wake up and make a sandwich in the morning and then go to work, right? But I woke up 20 minutes late, so that was like a 10-minute mediocre sandwich. You had a 10-minute sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Sandwich making. And then I brought it to work, um, and I had this cool little container, whatever it's called. It's like the reusable containers. And... um. I had the sandwich and it was just like, wow, like I'm a great, I'm a great sandwich Are you really, you're great. (laughs) Well, what are we going to talk about today? I'm so excited about um, today. We, we are getting the podcast going. We're starting to get in our groove. For those that don't know that are joining us for the first time, the idea behind Revision is that we want to talk about the future of the future. And what I mean by that is with everything negative going on in the world, I think that becomes a self-perpetuating idea. Things are bad, so then you actually start seeing things only as bad, and you start the self-perpetuating uh, negativity. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. And so I think there's something that that used to be that they used to see the future as something uh, as exciting, as something positive, mm-hmm. something like oh, I can't wait till we have flying cars. Strive for you know. Yeah, and so I think that and that is the entire purpose behind revision is to kind of get our vision set back to the fact that the future is going to be amazing. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So um, what do you want to talk about? You want me to start or do you want to start today? Um, You can start. I'll start? Okay so I'm really excited about two things. Now what another thing everybody should know is that we we tend to record this and then uh, we have to go through an editing process, and we have to make sure everybody's happy with it. So we're recording this now, uh, but it might be a couple of weeks before it actually gets out on the air. So if something terrible happens to Jeff Bezos, um, like if you're listening to this and he was just eaten by a pack of wolves or something horrible, and we're talking about this, it's because, uh, you know, right now nothing nothing terrible has happened to him yet. And um, so that's very important to know that, that there is a slight delay in all this. <laughs> so uh, I do want to talk about him today. And I, I want to talk about two of the initiatives and, and kind of talk about why I think this is key for the future. The first thing I want to talk about, and it's very important that you understand, I, I love this because I am a terrible person. I am a horrible human being, and I'll explain why. The first thing is the Amazon Go stores. For you, for those that don't know what an Amazon Go store is, it's a st- not a ghost store. Go <laughs> store. What are they selling? <laughs> <laughs> so what the Amazon Go store is, uh, it does sound like ghost store, doesn't it? It does. It really does. You have to enunciate ghost store. Yeah, the Go. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's enunciate the ghost. Amazon Go. Okay, so the Amazon Go Pause store is amazing to me. And I like this, like I said, because I'm a terrible person. I walk in and I simply scan my phone at the front. I walk in to something's about the size of a bodega. It's not a big store. I pull food off the shelf or whatever they have off the shelf in Amazon Echo, for instance. Drop it in my cart or even throw it in my backpack walk out, scan my phone, and I never have to talk to a human being at all. Well, is this why you ignore me at work? Yes, I, if possible. <laughs> I mean, and it's, it, here's the thing. Like, I will say that, that one of the things that the Apple store, for instance, uh, used to tout was the fact of how great the customer service is. 
it's awful now. I hate going to the Apple store. And I, I own everything that Apple makes. But I hate going to the Apple store because the customer service is so bad. It's faltered, definitely. Oh, my God. It's so bad. And, like, I call it, I call it the wall of bros that, that are always standing. It's all Apple employees. It's not people. It's the employees that are standing around talking to each other and having a great time with each other. I just want to go in and buy whatever I want to buy and get out, out, right? Um, And this is what the Amazon store does. I didn't even see employees. The only thing you see are people standing around outside taking pictures of it because it's like this really insane new idea. And I joke about it because I'm a terrible person, but but the reason why I use it as an example is you first heard about this, you know, a few years ago, right? And the idea of a store that you don't carry cash in, that you don't have a checkout person, that there's no checkout line, that there's no, you know, standard high, take my money, I'll leave now, right? The, the idea that you have that was like really far-fetched, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that when you first heard about it, you thought about that like that? Yeah, I mean, like the concept of cash and carry is like being put to bed. Yeah, I mean, and, and the idea that every CVS, for instance, you have to go... I'll buy a can of Red Bull. I got to go and stand with somebody that I really have no relationship with. And they're like, how was your day? Pleasantries, pleasantries. Pleasantries. It's great. Can I go? I want to say that I'm not the kind of person that Grayson is. I am a very social person. She is a very social person. I actually am a social person. I just don't like forced social. That's fair. That's fair. Right? Like Needed to clear that up. Maybe, maybe I've become a New Yorker, but most of the time it's like I have somewhere to go and I... I to stand around and have a conversation and watch someone put a straw in a plastic bag that I'm literally going to throw away two minutes from now, yeah. if even that long. It's just, that's not a good use of my time. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's I'll, fair. You're on the side of efficiency. That's what you Yeah, right? yeah. And I have nothing against the people. I'm thrilled that they're working. But the idea that, that they could say, we're going to create the store in a way that you could never, ever imagine and then buy Whole Foods in the process. Mm-hmm. And clearly this is where they're going. Um, what's very important to all this about is the fact that they did it. They actually did this. And I can now go like five blocks from where I am right now and go to the store. That only a couple years ago was something that people were saying, <clears throat> it's never going to happen. I say all of that to get to what Jeff Bezos uh, launched uh, last week. And it's this idea that we're going to go back to the moon and that we're going to settle the moon and that we're going to start looking to the universe uh, in a completely different way and settling uh, and creating colonies on giant spaceships that each are habitable um, is is an idea that I think is just absolutely amazing when you start thinking about the future. And the reason why I think it's amazing is for a couple of reasons. One, it flips the way that everybody views the universe, right? We think of planets. Like if you look at what um, everybody else is like uh, thinking about doing, it's like, oh, well, we got to go to the moon or we got to go to Mars and we got to inhabit Mars and we got to build colonies there. Martians, blah, blah, blah. It's awful because these, these concepts are outdated concepts. They're taking what we know, the Earth, and forcing that existence on something else. And that's the same with any design or anything that when you only see what you have and you force the rules of those things onto something else, it always is less than. Did you say it needs a revision? It needs a... (laughs) I see what you did there. She said the name of the show. So, yeah, the idea is 
to flip it. We don't need to be on a planet. We can actually create our own habitats and host a trillion people. That's amazing to me. And of course, everything that everybody's doing now is, oh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to do it. I don't know. A few years ago, we, we weren't going to have stores that you can just walk in and out of. And this is a much bigger concept. We may never see it in our lifetime. But the idea that the richest man in the world is now looking at that level, and it makes perfect sense, by the way. We, we can't sustain ourselves on a single planet at the rate of growth. That's what we know. And it's the only interesting idea I've seen. So I, that's what I wanted to share as far as the vision of the future, that when you're, when you're thinking about the future, thinking about doing some, everybody's going to tell you why you can't do it. And the, the just the guts or just being so brave to sit there and go, you know what? I'm still going to move over. The, the, the level of failure that he yeah. has set himself up for is amazing. But, but it's it, almost like he put the idea out there so it would, it would attract the best of minds. Right. And then they would come to him. Yeah. I, I, I love the fact that that he's so unafraid of failure. And that's what makes all the best products. That's the best, Absolutely. That's the best future. When you can give yourself permission to fail, amazing. Absolutely. So what, do you, what, what was your, your... I went on very, very long about my... My, how, wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool to live in space though and have everything I that we're supposed to have? definitely wouldn't be on the first ship, but like the fifth <laughs> or the seventh, you know? That's still pretty early, not like the 200th. I want to be up there before anyone buys Williamsburg, um, whatever that they're going to call it up there. So I want to buy Williamsburg. So, so what did you find fascinating this week? So this actually happened um, in an ad. I was just watching YouTube. And this ad um, came on before the video started, and it was about 3D body rendering, right? And how that's going to change how people purchase clothing from a specific website. I can't remember the name, but what it would do is that you would put this bodysuit on, and you would scan yourself or take, take a video, a continuous video of yourself, and they would send the body measurements to the company, and they would in, they would in turn analyze your body configurations based on your weight, your skin color, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not just projecting here. But um, basically, the benefit of that would just be better fit for clothing, for starters, right? Maybe tall mm-hmm. people don't want to wear ankle shorts. Maybe they want to wear full-length full length jeans. So it could actually tell you where your jeans will stop, which is cool for me as a person who's like 5'9". <laughs> um, the sweat threshold for better athletes, like, you know, what's your threshold for, for getting hotter? When, when does your body increase heating? Um, and lastly, um, the properties of fit and fabric, which I thought was like really cool. And basically what that is, is like, how do our bodies, I guess this would be based on like skin preference or whatever, like whether polyester makes you itchy or spandex doesn't, doesn't work well on you. So I'm just like really excited about that. I only wear silk. Yeah. Everything silk, silk from top to I bottom. I really like the headband you wore today. Is it a pretty yeah. headband? Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. It was a risk. It was a, it was a risk. <laughs> a risk worth taking. It was a risk. Um, actually, the the first one that you mentioned mm-hmm. is a uh, app called M Taylor, right? Which I have done, oh. which terrifies me. The fact that I'm now discussing this. M Taylor is an app that I actually recommended, okay? Um, because it's 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 a fascinating experience. You put it on the floor at a very specific angle, and you stand in the sweet spot of your camera, right? And you you spin around. And it actually takes a 3D model of your body. Right. And then they use that to custom tailor clothes. And I've received many, many shirts from them. And they, they actually uh, work out 
pretty well. I'm just terrified that there is a 3D model of... Of Grayson living on the of left somewhere. Grayson. <laughs> For those that don't know me, my... You know, there's different body types. Like, there's right, apples. Right. Mine is a uh, um, glad bag full of pudding. Oh, that is my body type. I was so, going to say, like, a pear. <laughs> <laughs> really sad pear. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm actually terrified. But I figured my DNA is out there, so yeah. I might as well. Yeah. This is nothing. Now they can, with the 3D they scan yeah. and my DNA, they can truly clone me. Yeah. Okay, so do you want to talk a little bit about our guest today? Yeah. Today we have Steve Swanson, who is lead creative and brand at GE Digital. And some things he's working on is like the digital, the social experiences, and in person. What we're going to talk about is really getting into what is the future of branding, which in my mind is what is the future of relationships we have with the products we want to buy. Right. And I think all of that's changing. Because it, it used to be a model that, and we'll get in this with him, but it used to be a model that uh, when you'd go to a store, you didn't know what brands were available. You'd go there and you'd have to look upon what they had in that location. And then you'd have to go to the next location. And we're right close to Macy's and and a few blocks up is Lord and Taylor on 5th and a few blocks up is Nordstrom and all these things. And back in the day, you would go on these shopping trips because that's the only way you would know. Well, now we know about every product. In fact, uh, the old joke is Best Buy is now Amazon showroom. Cause, and I do this all the time. I'll go and I'll look, find what I want, go on Amazon and buy it. Better price. Yeah, better, better price. Better. I can read the reviews. I can do everything that you can't get in a retail experience. So all of that's changing, how we interact with companies and brands. When we recorded this, Steve was our, uh, what episode was he? he was, no, he was our first episode. That we ever did, right? Like, because oh, we did for actual first. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Here's the first episode that we did, and we kind of delayed him uh, a technical little bit. Technical difficulties. Because of technical difficulties, you're right. Um, and what it is is that Steve is actually in Chicago, and he was our first call in episode. Hmm. And we didn't quite have the sound to the point that I would normally like it. So, uh, but I, I've, it's been bothering me that we haven't published it. So I just want to preface this episode for my fellow audiophiles out there that yes, this, it sounds a little bit, bit crunchy and it sounds a little compressed. It's such a good episode. It's about the future of branding that I felt like we had to do it regardless. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it was just an amazing conversation. Just talking to him, I felt like I was thrown 50 to 60 years into the future. Are you making fun of me? I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's a little bit overkill that was me channeling my inner great grace and i'm sorry oh okay so yeah. you're, you're being hyper positive about the future hyper positive. I, I i appreciate Today we have Steve Swanson, who is lead creative and brand at GE Digital. Hey, Steve. Hey there. Tell us a little bit about where you came from, uh, and then we'll talk about uh, where we're all going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I am a Midwest born and raised based out of Chicago. Um, I've been an artist my entire life. Um, I, I often joke that I could, uh, I was drawing in a sketchbook before I could walk. Uh, and so, you know, I'm a, I'm a formally trained graphic designer, you know, just kind of artist by trade. And it's funny because I, uh, you know, going into undergrad school, I had this, uh, this 
you know, ideal that I was going to be developing, you know, posters and CDs for, for bands, you know, for, for musicians and artists and quickly realized that uh, musicians have no money and there's no glory in being a starving artist. So I found this intersection of design and business and marketing and, and really fell in love with uh, brand identity and visual design systems. And so most of my career has, has been built around that, around, you know, building brand identity for, you know, small to medium sized companies. And then uh, for the past, really over the past half of my career, I've been with uh, GE, most recently GE Digital, leading uh, brand and creative for the software arm. Um, you know, folks are probably familiar with, you know, GE in a, in a general sense. You know, we make jet engines and locomotives, wind turbines, healthcare equipment, you know, kind of big iron uh, industrial machines. And over the past few years, GE has been going through this, this digital transformation um, and helping to solve some of the biggest challenges in the world around uh, the industrial Internet of Things. And so what I've been doing as of late is, uh, you know, my responsibility is to drive a beautiful and consistent brand experience across every customer touch point, whether it's, you know, digital or social or, or in-person experiences. So would you say that the future of branding is individualization or is it like a large force from juggernaut brands? Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's definitely going to be around uh, personalization. Um, what I'm finding, especially in a, in a world of, you know, content producers and social media and just the fact that we're, we're inundated with messages and, and, you know, content, um, you know, as consumers, we don't, we don't want to fit into a segment you know, we don't want to be uh, broken down into into buckets. We want content and experiences that are specifically tailored for us. And and I think that you know brands, both big and small, have to have to respond to that. Um, you know, I think there's a a really tangible example recently that I had is uh, I got a direct mailer, which I don't get a ton of them, um, but this one caught my eye. I think because it had my name on it, so I was like, okay, I'll I'll, I'll bite. I'll see what uh, what this has, and it was from our local grocery store, you know, Meyer Grocery Chain. And what I find interesting uh, about that specific example is that. You know, we're all used to getting coupons in the mail for, you know, eggs and, and bread and, you know, gallon of milk. But with this one specifically, you know, we kind of pick and choose which coupons we want and then we bring it and we get 50 cents off. But with this specific mailer, there were there were eight things that were on there and they were all things that we had personally purchased in the past like one to two weeks. And so we use literally every you know, every coupon that came through that direct mailer. And so what I'm finding is that, you know, now it's, it's a little bit antiquated, this, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, printed mailer production piece. But I think the, the premise of it is that, you know, we're looking for content. We're looking for these experiences that are tailored to me specifically and not just this kind of like wide spray of, you know, market messaging and imagery and content. Right. Branding is becoming like more informed and more customized in that way. For sure. Yeah. Because back in the day, you know, you do what you described as a simple mail merge. And then, you know, you have your list and you merge the, the name onto it. And you could print just about anything you want. Now you're merging, doing simple mail merges with data that's providing the content, which is absolutely fascinating. Right. And I think, you know, data, I think, is a really um, interesting area to watch specifically as it relates to branding because we're we're only becoming more and more you know digitally connected we're we're adding sensors to literally every aspect of our life and so um 
you know, as, as brands, when we look at the future of brand, um, you know, I think that we're going to be computing just massive amounts of data and then trying to figure out, well, how does that influence our, uh, our brand, not just, not just in, in the messaging and the imagery that we show, but, you know, how it's reflective of our products and the type of culture that we're trying to create. You know, when I think about even just the technology that's, that's here today from a data perspective, you know, we're, we're optimizing screen experiences based on eye movement. You know, we're measuring, you know, um, you know, we're becoming more digitally native with uh, voice control and trying to understand how that impacts purchasing decisions, you know, sure. Alexa on your Echo Dot. Um, you know, we're measuring every possible social impression and reaction, you know, to a piece of content that we put out. And so I think the challenge, what's going to be really interesting to watch over the next, you know, five or 10 years is that as we're gathering all of this data, what do we do with it? Like, how do we actually pull out the actionable insights and, and start feeding back, feeding that back into our, you know, our brand promise and our brand positioning and, and our segmentation and our, and our product development. Once you have this data, what do you do with it? Right. Cause, cause that, that's a big concern. Cause I mean, if you, if you think about where branding came from, you know, or, or even marketing based, very, very basic marketing, there's the old adage of the four P's, which was product, price, place, promotion is what you always hit. You always made sure you say what the product was, how much it cost, where you're located and what the promotion is, what the, what the buying signal is for them, you know, and that all that's changed. And there's the, the concept of the four E's now of engagement, experience, exclusivity, and emotion. So once you have all that data, then you actually have to run it through this, the engagement experience, you know, like what, what, what level of an experience are you providing people? Right. And, you know, the thing about experiences, too, is that it's never just one touch point. You know, in, in marketing, we'll refer to it as, you know, as an omni-channel strategy. And there's this reality that, you know, consumers, people, humans interact with brands in, in multiple different ways. You know, I might see um, something as I'm scrolling through one of my social feeds or I'm, you know, um, uh, you know, experience, you know, going to, you know, one of my favorite websites and I'm starting to interact with native content, you know, inside of that, or I'm watching a show on Netflix and there's this product promotion, you know, inside of that, that's just kind of seamlessly integrated. And so as marketers, we have to understand that, um, you know, it, it, it really is an omni-channel strategy. It's not just this one avenue, but we have to look holistically. How are all these data points feeding into the overall brand impression? And then how do we respond to that as well? Right. It's almost as if um, every brand is putting out content. And, you know, does that mean that every company is a media company now? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that if you're if you're not positioning yourself as a media company first, you know, even just as a mindset, not that that's necessarily your messaging, um, you're, you're falling behind. I think that what's interesting when you look at you know the you know the the future of brand, especially in the the landscape of social, has has dramatically shifted over the past even just two to three years. And what, what's interesting is that you know. Everybody today produces content, everybody. And what that means, you know, from a, from a, so let's say that, you know, you're a sneakerhead and you're, you know, uh, un unboxing the latest Jordans, you know, and you're pushing it out through your social feed. It's like that has major influence um, around the Nike brand that, that 
as, as a Nike, you know, internal marketer, I have absolutely no control over. And so, and so, you know, I think it's as brand marketers, we have to really take, have a serious discussion around, well, you know, 20 years ago, we could control the message of, of, you know, our brand promise, but now we're actually enabling this entire ecosystem of content producers and brand ambassadors that are, that are a reflection of the brand themselves that we can't control. And that's going to be something that's really interesting to watch. But it really makes me think like, do companies even control their brand any longer? And that you don't really have the control over the brand that you used to. I mean, I personally don't want to interact with brands that are like stuck in their ways. You know, you want to interact with the brands that are receptive to what the users need. And the iterativeness and the adaptiveness mm-hmm. is something that I'm, I'm getting used to, you know? Well, what I'm, what I'm finding that, you know, the hypothesis that I'm building is that, you know, more and more, I believe that the, the, the future of your brand, the quality of your brand is going to come down to the quality of the product that you produce. And what I, what I mean by that is that, you know, let's, let's go back to the, to the shoe example. If I put out um, a new sneaker, you know, the new Air Jordans and, and it's, you know, and it falls apart, it's, if it's a piece of garbage, um, that's, you know, the, the entire social, you know, influencer um, ecosystem is, is going to rip it apart. And, and so, but if, if it's, if it's a great quality product, if you have, you know, really fresh colors, um, you know, the, the stitching is, you know, really nice and it's just really well built. It's that itself is going to be the foundation for then great reactions and influences. And so you can use that whether you're, you know, promoting a sneaker, whether you have a, a new cleaning product, you know, that's the, it's eco-friendly and green, whether it's a, you know, an application that just works seamlessly on your phone, right. you know, it's frictionless. It's like the quality of that product, I believe, is going to drive the future of brand impressions. So you're saying that you believe that the positive elements of the future is that brands will fight to become more authentic and more honest and have that effect, uh, sorry, that lasting effect on people. Totally. You can't, uh, you can't trick people. What do you think of the idea that most consumers um, would not care if 50% of the brands just disappeared? Well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting perspective. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's always market saturation. Um, I think that regardless of what industry you're going to be in, um, new companies are going to rise up and old companies are going to fall away. And I think that if you don't have something of value that you can offer to the market, um, the, the market's going to, going to feed, you know, it's going to weed you out. And so I, I actually have no, um, I have no qualms if half of the brand, half of the brands went away because truthfully there's, you know, half the brands are probably garbage anyway. And, uh, you know, the, the market is the market, you know, the market's going to respond to whether or not you're bringing something of value or whether you're just, you know, uh, taking up space. So the question is, is in such noise, how do you make yourself rise up? Yeah, I, I think we're going to see a dramatic decline in advertising. The companies that focus first on adding value um, are the ones that are going to win. So, so let's say that I'm, um, let's say I'm selling um, 
you know, uh, Nest thermostats, which is a great product, right? Because it's it's simple, it's intuitive, it's seamless, right? It's it's a great product. But let's say that you know I'm, I manufacture you know Nest thermostats. Um, if I'm just you know creating banner ads and and just spraying the world with uh, you know, hey, here's the latest thermostat. It's you know now reduced price. It's like you're you're one, you're at a race to the bottom, and two, people are just ignoring banner ads anyway. Um, but if you go in and say, you know, if you come in from a position of thought leadership and say, hey, we're actually innovators in smart home automation. And here's how you should, if you're, you know, if you're looking to get started in this, here's some simple ways to do that. Some of them might not even cost anything. You know, you might have to, you know, update your, your Wi-Fi network. And it's like, well, Nest doesn't do that. You know, they don't, they don't sell Wi-Fi hubs, you know, but when you start to, when you start to add value without expecting the sale or without asking for the sale, I think those are the brands that are going to rise to the top, focusing on less about the hard sell through banner ads and more of, you know, through your content strategy, adding value, building a thought leadership around that. Uh, people are going to then come to you as, as the experts in that space. And oh, by the way, we happen to sell the best, you know, on a, you know, digital thermostat on the market. When you find a really good product, how you really want to tell people about it. And if your brand's working, then people are going to do that for you automatically. Yeah. I mean, the, the highest form of flattery is, uh, is imitation, right? So I, I agree with that premise. And, you know, I would even, you know, uh, one kind of hypothesis I'm, I'm working on, you know, just in theory is uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if you actually so let's say, you know, I'm, I'm a graphic designer by trade, you know, for, formally trained graphic designer. And so I can build, you know, logos and brand identity systems. Um, I realized too, that not every customer, um, not every client, you know, has the budget to, to do kind of a full brand identity system. And so um, I could even, I, I will often point them to if, if they don't have the right price point, um, uh, to you know, check out a, a place like Envato Marketplace and buy uh, and and buy a logo for a hundred bucks, you know, or go to um, you know ninety nine designs where they you know crowdsource uh, design you know uh, for for you know cheap uh, you know kind of low cost uh, price points. And not that I'm necessarily an advocate of those types of marketplaces, but I think the the point here is that if you actually show people how to find resources for what you do outside of what you do, um, it actually adds value to the services that you provide. You become the thought leader, you know, you, you establish yourself as more of a, more of a premium brand. Um, and it's amazing how many people will actually come back and say, oh, well, we actually, we wanted your expertise to create something, you know, personalized. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I think one thing that's really interesting because also starting out as a designer, I started out designing logos, then I designed it printed collateral for many years, and then you move into web, and then you move into digital. Uh, and what's really interesting uh, that I find is people get really concerned. They're like, oh, well, all these marketplaces, they take away the jobs, they take away stuff. But I've actually found by having those marketplaces do the easy stuff, because there's a million logos that someone can go get and it'll service them just fine. Um, but that's that's a really easy job. I actually get the larger jobs. I get the bigger jobs that 
implement the brand that, that once they go out and they find the little mark that they want, then they need to have the discussion about, well, what is your company's personality? What is this? Which actually is a much bigger contract and a much bigger engagement. And those get, get a lot of people over the easy bumps um, and they and they get into trust. And And don't you really think that all of this that we're talking about in the present day is a age of kind of mistrust and a quality brand basically really, really engages the trust factor. Yeah. I mean, I think trust, you know, brand at its core is about building trust. I mean, at at the end of the day, that's, that's what it is. Um, We are, we don't want to be sold. We want to establish, I mean, relationships with brands. And it might sound a little bit, you know, foreign or even, you know, slightly creepy, but the reality is that, you know, there's, there's ongoing interactions, there's communications, you know, brands, especially through social media, there's actual like tangible responses. Like you'll get a response if you post on, you know, if, if I'm, you know, I follow North Face as an example. It's like, if I respond to one of their posts, it's like North Face will literally respond back to me within the platform. And so, so relationship is actually being established within brands. And the key to any relationship, whether it's with a brand or with a person is, is around trust. And so the, the net game at the end of the day uh, with, with branding is, is establishing trust. So it's safe to say that brands are watching consumers just as much as we're watching the brands. Like for instance, the eye mapping with Netflix. But what I want to know is what is branding in 50 years from now? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think in 50 years, gosh, I'll have to, you know, put my Nostradamus hat on um, <laughs> because, you know, I feel like with the amount of information that is being generated and consumed today, 50 years is like multiple lifetimes, um, you know, from a, from a, in, in a, in a digital perspective. But, you know, I think, uh, I think it's a lot of the things that we talked about, you know, um, data is, is going to inform, um, you know, how we, how we change and shift our brands. Cause I think, you know, going back to the relationship aspect, you know, it's like, you know, my, my wife and I, we've been, you know, married for, uh, gosh, 14 years now. And, and, um, uh, you know, we're not the same people now that we were back when we met in high school. Um, and, and it's the same thing with brands, you know, brands change and evolve and they mess up and they make mistakes. You know, we've seen that over the past couple of years with, you know, especially an airline with like United, um, you know, and things like that. And it's like, you know, you, you make mistakes and you, and you own up to that. And so data is going to, um, change the way that we interact with those relationships. And hopefully that data, you know, we're taking that as brands and we're changing our products for the better. Um, you know, so maybe as a tangible example, I've seen, you know, new brands uh, pop up like Truman's, who's this, you know, eco-friendly, um, you know, cleaning supplies, which is a, which is a response to, um, you know, the, the push to make our, our, you know, planet more sustainable, you know, to, to reduce waste and to reduce plastic. And, and it's like, you know, brands are not only evolving, but brands are being created based on our responsibility as people, um, and how we're, how we're reacting with each other. So, so data is going to drive, um, you know, branding in 50 years for sure. And I, and I think, you know, 50 years from now, 
the amount of data is only, I mean, it's, it scares me how much data I think we're going to be generating. Um, and I think it's going to introduce opportunities, you know, in a, in a real sense for probably um, AI and machine learning. Um, I know that in our space, you know, within GE, um, in, in the industrial world, in the IoT space, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, hot topic. It's a buzzword right now um you know in a sense but there are there are pockets of organizations uh you know and and different you know lines of thought that are really using ai and machine learning in a very practical sense and so i think we're going to see that move from from kind of ideation into into fruition you know we're we're definitely going to have to figure out how we how we interact with with automation um and with bots and with technology um you know i think we'll never we'll never fully remove the the human connection um i think that there's you know there's just something inherent about us that that desires that and you know honestly can recognize that um, I think, you know, along the lines of transparency, I think as we move into more bot interaction and, and automated processes, we need to be um, we need to be transparent about that um, and not try to trick people. Because, yeah, what do you, you know, like the uh, the Google phone calls, the, the Google assistant that will call and try to make uh, reservations or make uh, air appointments and where their interface is fantastic. Um I, what I was reading, I was reading an interesting article because Google did not bring it up this year, a year after they kind of launched it. And, um, and the response was that people now know it's a bot and ignore it. Well, and I think machine learning doesn't necessarily have to replace the human element in things. But what it could do is is make our processes faster, which allow us to then innovate in new areas. So maybe a tangible example, um, uh, I brought my team to Adobe Max last year um, in LA and Adobe announced this new feature inside of Premiere where it was a magic wand for real-time video editing. It was one of the coolest things I've seen, right? So as, you know, as Photoshop geeks, we've, you know, had that capability for a long time where you could select a certain area and then you choose another, you know, kind of reference point and it'll just like magically remove, you know, something from the space and then fill it in, you know, with, with AI and ML, fill in the pixels to make it work. But now they're, they've, they've added that capability to real-time video um, and to a point where, so the example they showed is that they had this horse running in slow motion on a sandy beach. And so uh, they just, they selected the horse, um, they chose the reference point, and in one click, they removed the horse, and then they clicked play on the video, and the, and the horse was gone yeah. in, in the whole I, second. It's a scary future we're walking I, into. I do, <laughs> I do a lot of work with After Effects, and they, they, they've been showing that in After Effects also. And I just yeah. did a short film where I had to uh, um, edit out a seagull that was just really just in shot. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I really liked the shot, but the seagull was bothering me and it worked like, just like they promised. It was amazing. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I think we're going to see technology, um, help us, you know, with our, with 
automate our day-to-day things that, I mean, cause you would have to, you know, you would have to go into every keyframe. You'd have to remove, you know, by hand, a lot of this, you know, imagery and content, but now imagine the hours spent doing that is now freeing you up to either create new content or innovate in a certain area. And so I, I just, I think it's, you know, not necessarily that, you know, the machines are taken over, but I think it's just going to give us as humans, a, you know, new opportunities to, to innovate. You know, you know where I really see it. Um, and, and because I do a lot of software design, uh, ultimately you're always designing a ton of forms. Like you just, ultimately it's like, you're doing this really cool design and then you have to design these <laughs> forms and you're just like, Oh, another form it's and it's painful. Um, but if you think about it from a machine learning standpoint and, and the chat standpoint, if I used to work for, uh, the regulatory agency over the financial industry, uh, in which is a lot of forms. And we actually had a hackathon where our team created uh, essentially a bot that you could work with to fill out forms because it's a very straightforward. What is your name? What is your address? What is this? And these are all just questions that a bot can handle. And if you look mm-hmm. at the way like H&R Block and a lot of them have pushed filling out taxes, which is just forms, um, you could actually start interacting on that level where you're filling out forms through a conversation as opposed to having to write everything out mm-hmm. and fat finger and make mistakes within that. It's in, in, which I think is a fascinating idea. I, I so a, a company to watch right now is drift um, where they're doing exactly that. My, you know, we just redesigned the, the, uh, external, you know, g.com, uh, slash digital website, uh, this past, uh, fall. And we've started integrating live chat. My hypothesis is that, uh, forms are dead. I, I think, that, you know, we're becoming, you know, native to the idea of chat. You know, we've got our phones on us literally 24 hours a day. And to your point, the form experience on a phone is a little bit wonky. But for me to chat with a bot and just say, what's your name? What's your email? What's your phone number in case I lose connection? Right. It's 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 seamless and it's and it's intuitive. And uh, I, I agree. I think that that is a great example of how that kind of chat bot functionality is is changing the way that we engage um you know with with websites and with content yeah and and i do know that some of the other work that i did was also with the uh patent office and the patent office they are moving all forms so that you have to do them online and this this raises the interesting question about the next 50 years mm. the the problem that they had was not that they couldn't do you couldn't do your patent application online Clearly, that's very easy to do. Um, it was the fact that these patent attorneys, their father did it one way, their grandfather did it this way, and they have generations of these patent attorneys that literally know no other way other than paper still to this day. And so I think one thing that's interesting that i like to hear your thoughts on is how do you think with all these changes that the, the brands will adapt, but how are people going to adapt to all these changes and all the different ways brands are coming at them? Are you talking from a, like from a documentation standpoint from like a, you know, paper to digital type interaction? Yeah. If you, if you think about the fact that um, Google can call you and have a conversation with you and if you're not really paying attention, you probably won't know it's them. 
Um, and they and so brands are going to start trying to reach out to form relationships on a digital level, potentially uh, through advertising. And there's the famous Target story where uh, Target uh, wanted to start targeting uh, women that were pregnant. And so they were so accurate. They were sending mailers saying, congratulations, you're pregnant to families <laughs> that didn't even know they were pregnant. Um, yeah. And so there's a human factor in all of this that it becomes so efficient and and. And you almost have uh, brands using all this insane, great data and all this technology, but you still have to factor in the human. How do you pull humans along um, that might not be quite as savvy or might still be living in the past somewhere? Yeah, I mean, I think is if it's if it's helpful to me as a consumer, then I'm okay with you gathering data and information about me. As soon as it, as soon as you offer me something that's mm-hmm. uh, off or not relevant or doesn't align to maybe my personal worldview, um, that's when I'm going to start to question the authenticity of the brand. And it's tough. Like I, you know, I don't. I'm not sure that I have the answers um, for that because it's it's something that you know, in, in some instances, like I, you know, hey, I got a bunch of coupons and saved ten bucks at Meyer, and it's like that was awesome. But then you know, Target went and like you know, announced something, you know, uh, prematurely that, uh, that caused a lot of dissension within that, you know, family. And so there's, you know, there's a, there's a fine line, there's a balance that's uh, going to happen in there. But I, I do think that in general, if, if how we're personalizing experiences, the, the data that we're gathering, if it helps the end consumer, and, and not even just from B2C, but also B2B brands, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, when I say consumer, I don't just mean, um, you know, of, of, you know, food and beverage and CPG and things like that. But uh, when it, if, it, if it helps me as a person in either my day-to-day or my professional world, then I think that we'll accept it. Well, we, we've really appreciated having you here today. So we're going we're gonna to wrap up. But what I'd like you to do, put, put back on your uh, uh, Nostradamus hat. Of all the things going on and all, all the stuff that, that you read, what about the future are you most excited about seeing? You know, I'm most excited about seeing um, – I'm most excited about seeing which brands will thrive and which brands will fall by the wayside kind of going back to the point that we see earlier. I think that we're going to start to see um, brands that are not authentic, that don't add value, um, that are, you know, snake oil salesmen. You know, it's, I think we're going to start to see a decline in that. I think you're going to see juggernaut organizations, you know, that have been around for a long time start to lose brand equity and, and, you know, and brand value. Um, and, and, and we're going to see small, you know, small startups and companies, you know, skyrocket to the top. I think what's really exciting, you know, is is how innovation innovation has leveled the playing field for companies and for organizations. Anybody that that can add value to a market, anybody that has a great product, even starting today, can take on some of the biggest organizations in the world in the next three to five years. I, I have no doubt in my mind. And so what, what I'm excited to see is how that landscape shifts 
um, and to see which ones stay at the top and which guys that have been around for you know, 50, 60 years uh, start to decline. Revisions is produced in association with Dom and Tom. Production design by Grayson Scott. Gosh, that's swell.